1: benjamin solak it's the kissed and solak show presented by sb nation and bleeding green nation you are flying high on the kissed and solak show episode 31 brought to you by the fine folks at sb nation and bleeding green nation i am your host michael Kist. follow me on twitter at michael Kist nfl as always I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. 8-Year-Streak-Without-A-Bad-Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? (sighs) Pumphrey's back, I know. Why would (laughs) you...
0: That's so mean! This is the second podcast in a row that you've done that. Just because we've done this for a while, and you know what I'm going to say before I say it, because we're cute, (laughs) and it's like a relationship... Does not mean you get the right <laughs> to just take that away from me. And it's so funny because think you in my head, <laughs> I'm waiting and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I don't think Mike, like in the pre-show, Mike didn't mention Pumphrey. I think he forgot. This is so great. I get to like bust it out right in the beginning. Like we're talking about a talking point and you remembered and I'm sad. Pumphrey's back. <laughs> Pumphrey's back. Super Bowl confirmed.
1: So I'm going to give you 20 seconds to speak on – this signing and i am timing you as of right now
0: uh you know it probably doesn't mean very much obviously it probably is uh darren sproles is still unhealthy and whatever uh, i've signed to the practice squad josh adams is still above him so there's all of that 10 seconds he's absolutely more talented than wendell small he's absolutely more talented than josh adams Ten seconds. it's a health question so if he's healthy then he'll get snaps but he shouldn't be expected to be here long term because he's probably not going <laughs> to stay healthy for his entire nfl career You're
1: cheating Wait, that took a little long it was that was about 25 seconds well ben. you know
0: what i had a lot to say but i feel very passionately
1: about the (laughs) subjects. uh usually what we do today the schedule during the week is we do some all 22 film review and we really uh we really break it down but some things have happened and some things are happening that kind of got in the way with that so we're gonna get to the all 22 It's going to be later on the show it's going to be a little bit lighter than it usually is so we apologize for that if that's if that's something that you tune in for but the big news today for the eagles second year player Derek barnett has to shut it down for the season and go under the knife due to a shoulder injury. Uh, Barnett had two and a half sacks so far this season, 17 pressures, wasn't real impactful on a consistent basis as a pass rusher and doesn't rank terribly high for a pro football focuses pass rush productivity, but he did have the huge sack against the Colts to close that game out. And as we have often spoke about how superb he has been against the run this year, And the numbers reflect that for pro football focus among defensive ends. He ranks seventh in the league for run stop percentage, totaling eight stops on 64 run snaps, which puts him in league with guys like Brandon Graham and Jadavion Clowney in that area of his game for production. He first appeared on the injury report for this same shoulder injury before the week five game against the Minnesota Vikings. He sat week six. He played over half the snaps against Carolina, but just isn't able to recover or play through it. And Ben, this is yet another blow in a string of blows Mm -hmm. impacting the Eagles team this year. You look at their injury reserve list on the defensive side of the ball, just on the defense. He joins Ronnie McLeod, Destiny Vio, and Paul Worlow. Also, Timmy Jernigan is NFI, and Chris Maragos, my doppelganger, is on the pup list. We've talked all season about not getting a week of stability On This roster guys are coming in guys are coming out on both offense and defense constant changes are having to be made which has to be incredibly tough for the chemistry of those units and planning week to week for the coaching staff has got to be a gigantic challenge. I've had this feeling for a bit now Ben, uh, that these injuries and these problems weren't going to stop happening. And it would prevent us from reaching the stability needed to make a serious run. And then boom today, Barnett goes down. At what point do you just, just say it's, it's, it's too much to be able to withstand, even though with, with what we were able to overcome that last season, which was a monumental feat. But Ben, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I'm feeling a bit like seriously dejected right now. About the whole situation. And maybe it's because I also paraphrased The Imp of the Perverse by Edgar Allan Poe in an article today, which nobody noticed. And it's about the narrator's self destructive impulses. And it reminded me of the Eagles offense. But regardless, maybe Ben, you're a cheery guy, right? Yes. Maybe you can show me the bright side of this situation.
0: Derek Burnett was the fourth most impactful pass rusher in the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, like, I've got love. Obviously, like, people know, like, I don't, I'm not super bullish on Derek Burnett as a player. I've got love for, for the snaps that he gives, and he's fantastic against the run. There's no arguing that. Fletcher Cox, Michael Bennett, and Chris Long are all more impactful pass rushers off of film, for me, than Derek Barnett is. He's the fourth most impactful pass rusher. Now, he takes over half of the snaps, and, and, and the Eagles love to use a rotation, and now they're thinner on the defensive line. I recognize that, that is, you know can be seen as an issue. To me, an uptick of Michael Bennett and Chris Long snaps is good news, right? Obviously, they have to be conditioned enough to still be at the same speed in the fourth quarter, and that's what we have to uh, see. But for me, like, on on clear pass rushing downs, snaps that Chris Long is getting over Derek Barnett is good news, in my opinion, in terms of, like, win now sort of a situation. It's obviously not good good news for Derek Barnett's development, uh, and that's what we have to recognize. Right. This is a terrible shame because... Barnett seemed to be putting some good stuff together, and his hand usage seemed to be improved, and, you know, it, it, I thought he was playing better in year two than he was in year one, which should be expected, but it's good to see, obviously, uh, and then for this to happen is, is terribly uh, upsetting, it's funny, a uh, friend of the podcast, Brandon Ekstrom, just said to me, like, oh, he's perfectly on the, uh, on the Brandon Graham track now, because Brandon Graham had a similar setback, and I believe his second year, might have been his third year as a pro, and I, I've been saying for a long time, if Derek Barnett's going to be a successful rusher, he needs to do so in the mold of Brandon Graham, so it's true, the stars are aligning. I do not think the loss of Derek Barnett and the subsequent addition of Josh Sweat affects the Philadelphia Eagles' defensive line and ability to generate pressure as much as everybody else does. I simply don't.
1: Uh, look, I was real high on Josh Sweat.
0: I mean, who, who'd you have ranked higher, Sweat or Barnett?
1: Probably had a higher grade on Josh Sweat, to yeah, be honest I had with a, you.
0: I had a comfortably higher grade on Josh Sweat. And Josh Sweat, yeah. for, you know, those of you who don't follow the draft very closely, Sweat fell to the fourth round in part because he has, not dissimilarly to Jay Ajayi, some pretty significant knee concerns. Uh, and he had a, a near amputation level injury in his freshman year of college, and his uh, practice counts at Florida State were mandated and moder- uh, modulated accordingly, right? He, was, he never was a full practice participant for four years at Florida State. Because they just didn't want to risk undue uh, damage to his knee. And he wears the brace whenever he plays. That being said, Josh Wett is a more explosive player than Derek Barnett from what I see on tape. And I think he's a more powerful player. And I think he's got good length. Derek Barnett has better rush moves for sure. Uh, And there's a chance, you know, like I'm not saying Josh Wett's going to be as impactful as a pass rusher in year two. As De- or in year one, as Derek Barnett was in year two, but to me, Josh Sweat is a higher ceiling player who could do more for you in the long term, and, and with the fact that Philadelphia is probably losing Chris Long after this season, may or may not lose Brandon Graham, depending on his contract situation, and can move on from Michael Bennett if they want to, Josh Sweat has already taken inside and outside reps for the, uh, for the Eagles right. in the snaps that he's played. Uh, he has a huge opportunity here to earn a lot of playing time next year and kind of dictate what Philadelphia does with the personnel on that side of the ball. My salient point is this. Yeah, Part of the reason the Eagles' defense struggled in the fourth quarter against the Panthers and part of the reason that they struggled in other games and against Tennessee in overtime is because, yeah, they weren't generating as much pressure. But you can't convince me that the issue with this defense is how much pressure they generate. So unless there's a steep drop-off in Philadelphia's ability to generate pressure with the loss of Derek Barnett, which I simply do not think there is. I just don't. Then the strength of this defense remains the strength. The weakness remains the weakness. And and so like this, there was this big reaction to the Derek Barnett news that, man, like, you know, this season, like you said, like you're dejected and the season just feels foregone. I like, like, we didn't see this level of reaction to the Rodney McLeod news because at that point we were one and one and we hadn't dropped so many stupid games and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. We weren't right off the Carolina Panthers loss. But to me, you know, if you'd asked me before the season, who's a much bigger deal to lose, Rodney McLeod or Derek Barnett, it would have been Ronnie McLeod 12 out of 10 times, right? So I think a lot of this Derek Barnett reaction is born in uh, the fact that we just came off a terrible loss to Carolina. And yes, things feel like they're mounting up. But this is a much, much, much easier season loss to surmount than the Ronnie McLeod loss. The problems facing Philadelphia's defense are the same as they were 24 hours ago. That's my main point.
1: And I get that the McLeod loss for me anyway, because McLeod was playing some really doggone good football. It was different. It was so early on in the season. And it's it's not just about, as you alluded to, just about Barnett. It is the accumulation, both Mm -hmm. on the offense and the defensive side of the ball. And it was easier to take on these hits last year because the team was rolling through them and not looking back, and they were on a serious tear. We haven't even gotten started this year. And Doug said this in the presser, and I'm sure he believes it, and there's truth to it. But right now, I don't want to hear that we've been in close games because bad teams lose close games a lot. There isn't room for error anymore. The hits that we keep continuing to take as far as the injuries go. Ben, again, we just we, we haven't even gotten started. We dealt with these last year because we were rolling, And now we're extremely behind the chains with this three and four start, Mm -hmm. 22% playoff chance per football uh, outsiders. Uh, I wrote about the history of three and four teams in the modern era for BleedingGreenNation.com and only 32.5% make the playoffs. Only one has won a Super Bowl. And of course, it was the Tuck Rule Patriots of 2001. Eight of the last 10 teams that started out three and four have gone out one and done in the playoffs, even when they do make it. And yes, Many of those teams, perhaps all of them don't have Carson Wentz, but we as a team, not putting all of this on Carson, of course, are two and three since his return. And the injuries just continue to pile up. We've blown two fourth quarter leads that we should have won. That's what bad teams do. That's what, again, not calling us a bad team. That's just what bad teams do. When teams are executing poorly, regardless of talent level, that's how you lose those close games. This is too talented of a team to be in the situation and we keep leaking talent so i feel like it's, it's it's hard to believe that it's going to get better so you take all of that into account and i think you can see why ben that i'm i, I and i rarely talk gloom and doom you know that's not my style we're, we're pretty level-headed and we're, we're pretty even keel when it comes to those things mm-hmm. uh, but right now i'm on a serious ledge and it, again not entirely about barnett can we get a week just one week where this news isn't just terrible.
0: Yeah, we got a bye week coming up. So, there's <laughs> probably not a lot of bad things is going to happen then. No, I feel you. I mean, like, I guess it goes back to...
1: It would be easier if we were winning. Yeah. It would be much easier.
0: And, and you know...
1: And not not losing anywhere near the way that we are This right is
0: a good segue. You know whose life would be a bajillion times easier if the Eagles are winning? It'd be Carson Wentz. Because yeah, Carson's just trying so hard he's swinging for the fences at every turn you want to tell him like a you know three-time fcs champion super bowl winning quarterback who isn't actually a super bowl winning quarterback like dude it's okay you know what i mean like like yeah. you uh, like uh
1: and and ben it's not just him every if you listen to the the at the podiums here on bleeding green nation every single coach peterson grow and jim schwartz says that their players Carson Wentz on the defense, the entire offense are pressing and they're trying too hard to make a play. Right. And thus they are not doing their job.
0: You can very clearly kind of like circle plays like, oh, Nelson Aguilar in this one screen kind of got way too aggressive and he should have stayed behind his blockers and da 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 da. And, you know, Alshon Jeffries on this. This little third and five, little slant route that he's got going on, uh, you know, in the near red zone to convert, and he kind of just gets right up in Bradbury's grill, and he kind of tries to box him out. And he doesn't just create a throwing window, or whatever. Like you can go and like nitpick on a lot of stuff. To me, like I, the easiest things for me to identify are just simply Carson Wentz. Like uh, here's a good example: the uh, it's ten nothing, and Philadelphia is going for that. Uh, they, they eventually scored the touchdown, throwing to Dallas Goddard, the little one-yard route going back there. Uh, they had Goddard open on that little skinny post they love to run in the middle of the field.
1: Oh, they did that. It was like the double China eight. Instead of the corner, it was the post, right?
0: Right. I mean, sure. I, I honestly don't even know what the other concepts were there. It was just Goddard's running that little copper, copper out, that corner post that they love in the red zone. They've hit Carolina with it before.
1: They hit it in the middle of the field. They were like 40 to 40, and they hit the same thing. I know exactly what you're talking no, about. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: and so... Uh, Goddard turns the route and he's, he's a little bit slow out of his break and he could have been a little bit more aggressive coming across the middle of the field, but Carson's getting, Carson's staring that route down and he's getting interior pressure right in his lap from his right guard. So right into his, like into his hips, just coming right down the the barrel. And all he's got to do is just step to his left and then throw in rhythm. He's just got to make a slight pocket adjustment. This is something I've complained about with Carson before. And it comes down to, like, when having a skill causes problems. Carson's so good at throwing through contact and in the mess that he doesn't just get away from the contact and the mess when he can, right? It's like uh, with with the running back debate where people say, like, well, you draft a running back early, uh, you're more likely to run the ball more because you want to justify the investment, and then whoops, all of a sudden, you're running the ball more than most successful NFL offenses are, right? Like, when you have this skill, when you have this commodity, you feel the need to use it. And Carson's just trying. to He just, you know, I'm hanging in the pocket. I'm delivering a tough throw down the barrel. You don't need to, man. Just step to your left.
1: I'm watching it right now. Right. He's got pressure, like you're saying, to his right hip. He could very, and very, and had time, too, and had the space to yeah, do it. it very it, easily take a step hours. to his left. And he's on his tippy toes throwing this thing. Yeah. That's and yeah. there's
0: no weight transfer, and the ball comes out a little bit lame. Right. It's third and two. The Wendell Smallwood play. It will live on an in infamy. Uh, and, and and Smallwood's <laughs> out there in the flat. And Carson decides at the snap that he's taking the Alshon route because he has cover two. It's the same route as the Dallas Goddard route, and it should be open. And so he looks off. The, he he pulls the, the the field the boundary side safety to his left. And this is a plays up on my mm. timeline. You can find it. And, and he, he resets to the middle of the field and Keekley is there and he doesn't see him and he just feeds it. And Carson's making that choice on third and two that he's going right down the middle. He wants Pater. He wants six. Put the game away. And I don't hate that. And there's a good chance that Doug Peterson told him, listen, we're going to go for it on fourth down. So, you know, take it deep if you have it. But when he's looking off to the left and Dante Jackson, the corner, is sagging underneath the flat route, he's got, he's sagging underneath the seven, he's got the flat route. You can just yeah. take it, baby. You can just take it, and, like, this is what we've been saying, like, Carson is so good at making incredible plays that he tries to make incredible plays all the time, and, I, and this is something I talked about in the immediate aftermath of the game, and I got a lot of heat, like, oh, you're blaming Carson, the defense should have done this. Absolutely, I think most of the, the fault goes on the defense for giving up 21 points in the fourth quarter. I think that's bad. I think the <laughs> Eagles should have done well, but when you when you watch carson in these late game situations in these red zone situations man's just gunning man is looking end zone and and they say touchdown to check down and that's kind of the idea of how you want to read it but he's so heavy on the touchdown he thinks he can make every throw and he's got to mature and he's got to learn that it's okay to just let somebody else make a play.
1: And and it goes for Carson and it goes for us rest of the team too. And we talk a lot about Carson because it's very easy to point out when he does something like that. It's less easy to point out when guys around the team are doing it too. But that's how you get some of those unnecessary penalties that keep killing our drives and whatnot. And it's just the entire team is just pressing. Like I said, all three coaches talking about their specific groups or the entire team brought up the same thing in the press conference. And I absolutely agree. Just guys trying to do too much. You need to bring it down, do your job, let the guy next to you make a play. That's how they were last year. Let the guy next to you, trust the guy next to you to make that play. And that's what this this team is missing this year.
0: I have one and a half more offensive points I'd like to make. And then I know that you have stuff you want to talk about on the defense side of the ball. So do you want to break it up that way? We
1: we're going to talk about some trade options and whatnot. But I kind of like this through line of doing the, uh, the All-22 talk as we address these issues, better. Yeah,
0: we got we to gotta give them a reason to keep listening for the Patrick Peterson info. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, I've seen big complaints about uh, Nelson Aguilar's depth of target and how Nelson Aguilar is being very yeah. heavily used in the screen game. There's a couple things I think that are important to understand there. Number one, twice Nelson Aguilar was targeted on a little bubble route, a little screen route, because when Philadelphia has a zone run dialed up, And they've got two receivers out to the side. They tag those two receivers with a little bubble. And what Carolina was giving Philadelphia is they were blitzing that nickel over Aguilar in the slot. And both times, Aguilar keyed it, Carson keyed it, and they just threw the little bubble to Aguilar. One time, it was an opening play, first and 10, uh, uh, first play of a drive. And then the next time, it was uh, one of the first plays of the drive. Uh in the fourth quarter, right? And it only went for two yards, and it was the second time they did it, and Eric Reid, the safety, keyed it because he knew when the slot corner blitz was coming that that bubble was going to be mm. tagged behind it. That's something Philadelphia has always right. done. And so it's not as if Doug is never running Aguilar deep. It's that Aguilar is the tag guy on a lot of these package plays. I, I want to stay away from saying RPOs because it's a package play. It's if this happens pre-snap, if we see a corner blitz then we have the ability to go and and run this little bubble route, right? And so that's that's part of it. And then I said one and a half because what that goes into is my number one complaint with the Philadelphia offense in the fourth quarter, which there was a lot of, they need to run the ball more. Nah, okay. Two drives, you're looking at chew-up clock, and there were three screens ran. One of them was the bubble I just referred to, and two other ones were drawn-up screens. Right. The last play... And for me, which I, you know, I'm sure Doug is a reason why he's running them. The last play for me when I'm trying to chew up clock that I'm running is a screenplay. There's a couple reasons why. One, you're getting the ball to that player four yards back with the chance that his blockers didn't get out in front of him. Just run a running play. It's basically the same thing. Right. It's just the blockers are already going to be there, right? Like, And they're
1: all keyed into the running back anyway. That's not like third and 13. You dump it off because, you know, they're playing soft.
0: Right. Or, you know, they're also throwing little like, you know, like tight end screens or whatever. Da, 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 da. Right. But you're right. Everybody is very uh, aggressive coming downhill on the defense because they're expecting short stuff. That's high completion percentage. And that's my next complaint point. I don't really think screens are that high completion percentage. All right. Because if something goes wrong, you <laughs> have to bury the football, right? It's incomplete. Yeah. It's done. You're throwing into so much traffic. I don't really think it's a high percentage throw that's definitely going to keep the clock running. And then my third and final complaint is that most of the time, like you said, a screen like a third and 13, screens rarely go for five yards. Screens either go for negative three or 20. And you don't need 20, <laughs> and you definitely don't want negative three, right? Philadelphia got into yeah. a third and 10 situation and into a second and 11 situation on these their two final drives they are trying to run out the clock because they lost yardage on screens. We're simply, you don't, like, if that screen hits, you've got a first down, and that's obviously great. But you don't need a first down. You're not, like, you're not racing the clock trying to get downfield here. We do not need chunk explosive plays late when we're nursing a lead. Get me yeah. four yards. Eh, mm-hmm. Right? And, and maybe your running play is, maybe your four yard play is a running play. Maybe it's, Mesh sit, which they didn't run at all. Maybe it's slant flat, which they ran once and it worked well and they didn't run it anymore. Like maybe it's just Zach Ertz curling across the middle of the field and sitting between his zone, which they ran 25 billion times and it works every time. Yeah. Right. I don't.
1: I mean, they did it. Right. They called two RPOs in that situation and that's perfectly fine because you, I mean, yes. they're, they're going off the box numbers. That's right. probably Run the inside zone with the backside, replace slant with Alshon Jeffrey. That's what Jeffrey's here for.
0: What it comes down to for me is I. If there's one thing about Doug, I've never been able to get my head around or understand, it's when and how he chooses to run his screens. Because he, to me, always runs his screens at like the spot. Like I'm conditioned by Andy Reid. Andy Reid taught me you run screens inside the uh, opposite of the thirties. Like thirty to goal line or goal line to thirty. That's when you're running screens. That's it. Doug runs his screens usually at like the forty-five. Uh, when you're like clo- or like at the forty or the thirty-five, like when you're close to field goal range, yeah, he throws the ball behind the line of scrimmage, which I do not get. Uh, and then he's also throwing them in these late game situations where I just don't understand, right? And and I very firmly believe there's a coaching point there that I just don't know, right? Because I don't think it's it's <laughs> on accident, you know what I mean? I don't think he like yeah. you know just closed his eyes and and put his finger down on his play sheet and oh, the screen, you know? Obviously not. But those. That's that's what I took away from. I'm not so much worried about the lack of running game as I am the high incidence of the screen game. I don't think it's a high percentage clock-eating throw. I don't.
1: Are you counting that touch pass to Aguilar that's basically a jet sweep as, as like a screen? Because it does involve uh, getting that outside perimeter wide receiver, blocking up the cornerback, which Jordan Matthews did not do.
0: No, it's a run. And that's, yeah, I mean, like you count that as a fourth screen. That's a, that's a good point. It's not as slow developing. So you're not as as uh, likely to get the defense back coming back and then coming back forward. So I'm, I'm I'm aware of calling it a screen. To me, it's a run. Uh, and that's another thing yeah. that's going to affect Aguilar's depth of target.
1: Yep. That's kind of why I brought it up too. Also, the play after that, what killed us in the fourth quarter, the Panthers brought a blitz from the outside to the left of Jason Peters, and then they brought a the late linebacker blitz. Now, what that blitz on the outside with Mike Adams did was when Corey Clement took the play action, he immediately went to help Jason Peters. Mm-hmm. That cleared the inside lane because Jason Kelsey was on the one tech who slanted, created a lane for delayed blitz by Lou keekley who was an absolute monster this game. Monster. But that was free money for him coming free. Right. We got out, we got out scheme there. And that was a huge play. Green dog. A big swing for us. Right. We were on their side of the field and we just and and, and we stalled out because we couldn't execute.
0: I mean, that was simply you watch that play and you go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's just, that's Luke Keekley <laughs> just choosing to make a, a crazy play. And that's a situation where, and I, I talked about this, um, I think immediately after the game, I think I posted about this, and this goes back to Carson, you know, heroism and trying to make plays. I can't remember last time Carson threw the ball away. Can you? I don't think he has one throwaway in the entire 2018 season. Which is. He's got
1: two. It's, it's, bananas. it's, it's the one where he's
0: like, those don't count. All right. Being in the grasp <laughs> and chucking it backhand at the nearest receiver don't count. And here's what's annoying. I watched that play in slow mo three times. I think there's a yeah. good chance he pulled it off. I'm pretty sure he got that ball out before his knee hit the ground. I don't know if it was.
1: He definitely did.
0: If he was ruled in the grasp or if it was whistled. I don't really know, which is annoying because I don't want him to pull those off because they're dumb as heck. All right. You can like, yeah. oh, like when it's the running back and you're in space. Not when there's like a bajillion people around you and the tight end is like all the way past the numbers. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. But my thing is, alright, so you're there and you try to break the Keekly tackle and you're unable to break it and you're chucking it you're trying to get rid of it and whatever. Like this is a situation where Carson goes, I've broken this tackle before. I had that crazy play against the Redskins. I can break this tackle. Well, yeah, you can, but it's a low percentage chance. And so, yeah. you've got a big lead. It's I believe second and eleven at this point. If you just get that ball out of bounds, third and eleven instead of third and eighteen, and and as commentators always say, it's a different. There's no play in the playbook for third and eighteen. I mean, there isn't, right? <laughs> and so this is what I, I think. Yeah. An overarching theme is the Eagles have really been looking for a downfield threat because, in general, their offense is very oriented with short yards through the air, short uh, air yards per attempt, right, which is a big 2016 complaint. The offense kind of feels like it's gone back to that. Uh, Do they have a deep threat on the roster? I mean, Nelson Aguilar, Sean Gibson have some long speed. Alston Jeffrey is a great downfield receiver as far as adjusting to the football, but they clearly don't feel like they have that niche role in the offense, right? I mean, third wide receiver is Jordan Matthews, and he's never going deep. He just doesn't, like, you know, he ran the Tennessee route, and that's it. So, expect Philadelphia to move very hard for a deep threat before the trade line which is trade deadline which is October 30th uh, because they clearly feel like they need that in their offense because right now it is very oriented on these short behind the line of scrimmage throws and those negative plays ended up killing them uh, when it came down to the final stretch against Carolina and that's her segue into the tread deadline or wait, you want to talk defense?
1: No, that's the segue. You can you can hit that again. Say, and that's your segue.
0: And that's your segue into the trade deadline. See what I did there, Mike? See, it's, it's all it was all part of the the, the my pre show, which I did by myself.
1: Speaking of wide receivers, the Eagles put a call in for Amari Cooper, the Oakland Raiders at the time wide receiver, and apparently were offering something like a second rounder, according to reports. Mm-hmm. The Dallas Cowboys decided to negotiate against themselves were the only team offering a first-round pick. I guess that's what the Raiders wanted. So the Dallas Cowboys pull off the trade for Amari Cooper while the Philadelphia Eagles were interested, but that was too rich for them. Ben, how do you feel about spending a first-round pick on a guy who there have been reports about his work ethic issues, which I don't necessarily believe because I have no question that John Gruden has an issue with any young player that he hasn't drafted that is there in Oakland already. But still, he hasn't produced like he has in the past. He's had issues, issues with drops. He is 24 years old. Would you spend a first-round pick on Amari Cooper?
0: I wouldn't have spent the second on him. And I'll be honest with yeah. you. I don't think the Eagles were sending a second on it. Mike Silver had the report.
1: Oh, it was Mike Silver. Yeah,
0: Mike Mike Silver had the report, which I'm not like I don't I don't really know how accurate of a dude he is. Obviously, he's out there in Cali, Oakland, whatever.
1: He's uh he blocked me because he's not accurate, and I pointed it out, and he's got thin skin, so he's a bit of a biff.
0: All right, Michael. (laughs) All right, speak your piece. Let it be known.
1: It's him. It's Jason LaCanfora and every other hack out there that tries to act like they have a story when they just flat out don't and are proven time and time again, that they don't have squat. They don't have a source. They don't have a sauce. They don't have Jack. Ben, go ahead.
0: Right, so I don't think the Eagles offered a second from Mark Cooper, uh, which has apparently a little bit to do with the source, or the the reporter, I suppose. Uh, But it's more to do with the fact that I simply don't think that Philadelphia would have viewed one year of a contract with a guy who's been struggling for the past season and a half uh, as worth a second. Uh, You know, They might need a... uh, a deep threat. But I don't think they need one that badly to take that big of a gamble on Amari Cooper.
1: Did you hear the money that he was apparently going to request from Oakland, or has requested?
0: What, as far as his extension goes?
1: Yeah, you're talking like four, like he, like he wants like top five wide receiver money.
0: Well, he can go to bed because that's absurd. <laughs> um, and yeah, so when it comes to Dallas, I think Dallas certainly uh, should have had a higher price point than philadelphia that dallas is far more in desperate need of a wide receiver there is also the point we made that dallas is also like in a tricky cap spot and you know like i don't really know what their future plans are like they've got to be thinking they're going to extend cooper uh but they haven't really seen him play well in the past season and a half like i said so uh, i don't really know i so i think first is too much i think second would have been too much for philadelphia Uh, i think the salient point is that uh cooper's not going to solve dak it isn't, you know what I mean. Like if you think that Cooper is what you needed for Dak to kind of return to his rookie year form, twenty sixteen, I would be shocked. Uh, that that I don't really think that's founded. Uh, this is the third wide receiver that Jerry Jones has traded a first round pick for. The rumor was that he traded this first rounder because they were dead set on picking a first round wide receiver in the draft, uh, and they didn't see anyone better than Amari Cooper, which. I mean, okay, maybe there's no receiver in the draft better than Amari Cooper.
1: That's fun revisionist history. That's so that's very convenient.
0: Number one, there <laughs> is, in my opinion. But number two, right. <laughs> there are exactly zero teams in the league who have decided which position they're taking in the seven months away NFL draft. <laughs> like that's that's
1: That's what I mean as my
0: dear mother would say, a hunk of baloney <laughs> and an absolute claptrap. There's no that's that's complete justification by somebody in the building like oh we're gonna take a wide receiver anyway you Mm -hmm. don't know that shut your mouth uh so i'm glad the eagles didn't spend the second i'm even glad the cowboys spent the first uh i think it will improve their offense but i just don't think it'll it'll solve Dak at
1: all so there are rumors that the eagles could improve their defense with a trade before we get to patrick peterson and talking about him i do want to talk briefly because i'm very annoyed by it about this 21 unanswered points that the Carolina Panthers put up on this Eagles defense. Uh, I want to correct myself. I said prevent defense prevents you from winning the game. I wasn't saying that was the case. I was wondering if that was the case because we were working off the broadcast version. The Eagles didn't play prevent. They played the same old defense that they've been playing for the majority of the season. They actually mixed in some coverages during that run. They played some cover zero where they got lucky that they didn't get burned on a touchdown because McDougal can't cover anyone. Uh, he was a liability that entire but, time. But,
0: but, we can't put Russell on the outside, but Jalen Mills on the inside. Shout out to Schwartz. So instead, we take the street free agent and Ugh. start him.
1: <laughs> Dude, did you see that? Did you see the one throw where they had, like, the little out and up, and McDougal was completely lost? And, like, Cam, like, flooded it up there, and I think, like, a, a huge wind gust came and knocked it down because that was a sure six. That was a sure sixty. McDougal got burned on. Then the next drive, Jalen Mills has words on him after a play because they're running their cover three shell, and McDougal doesn't get into the flat.
0: He doesn't get into the flat. He doesn't (laughs) sink under there at all. It's so bad.
1: So yeah, he (sighs) can't get there. And I mean, whenever they played cover two, they had a good they had a good combination for it, and they stretched them vertically, and they were able to uh, the Panthers were able to convert. Whenever they had man coverage on. They had man beaters and they had rub concepts and they beat them with those. And it was like one big play on each of those drives. You know, I had the mills falling down or whatever the case was. But this was not a defense that I felt switched the plan with the lead. They just sucked. They just like it. the, the execution was just completely lacking on the back end. And they set Ronald Darby up with that sluggo because they ran a bunch of slants at him all game and he had and he had a pass breakup on one of them that i can remember towards the end of the game too He played it really well but then he tried to play it really well again and it was a sluggo so Mm -hmm. there's that so they really set him up on that anything that 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 we came out with it seems like the panthers either just got lucky or they knew pre-snap because there is zero zero disguising the coverage with this defense what they come out with pre-snap you can see. Ben, have you ever seen them disguise Cover Zero?
0: I can't remember them playing Cover Zero enough to tell you if they've disguised it.
1: That's their favorite third down blitz. When, you, when you've got five men across the board and you know they're bringing like six or seven, you, you oh, can tell. then no. Yeah.
0: Right. You're talking about like on third down when they've got like six guys on the line and there are man coverage everywhere else. You can't yeah. disguise that.
1: Yes, you can. What are you How? talking about? What are you talking about? You can't disguise that. They make it obvious every time. You can't You can't cap people. You can't cap a slot Where, okay. wide receiver and bring pressure. It's got to be the same thing every time from the same places. It's all got to be congested in the box. You can't.
0: So you've seen this secondary play and you want to put them at worse angles to get to their man coverage responsibilities, so you can disguise a six man blitz?
1: No, I said cap them. They're 10 yards off anyway.
0: Who's coming off? Who's coming 10 yards off? I've never seen this.
1: What are you ta- No, I'm not saying coming 10 yards off in a blitz. I'm saying you can have a nickel corner. Capped by a safety, and that safety can have man responsibility. They don't even do that. Which, which they don't safety even do that you put back there?
0: Man. What you want? You want to give? Uh, you, I mean, Avante Maddox actually. Both kind safeties of makes sense.
1: are playing man. Okay. That's how the Tennessee Titans beat us.
0: Let's do it with Avante Maddox because Maddox is actually a corner, and so he'll cap like a safety, but really he's a cornerback, so he'll actually be playing his position.
1: That's the man coverage that we had when Corey Davis scored a touchdown on the Titans. What's it? You're gonna have a man in man coverage anyway. I'm not saying it's fantastic, yes. like a great idea, but like winner, okay, and. it's not just with cover zero ben can you pretty much tell what this defense is pre-snap other than the giants game where i thought they did a good job of of mixing things up and disguising things pre-snap can you pretty much tell pre-snap what this defense is
0: i thought and i'll go back and i'll look that they did a pretty good job especially in the first half disguising and switching zones that was i'll go back and look
1: what about in the second
0: listen we talked about it in the in the post in the post game pod i do not know why schwartz went so heavily to man in the end of the game that being said the, the big issues there at the end of the game were the fact that his corners in man weren't able to string together enough good plays to get the Panthers off the field, right? But you do kind of have to know your personnel and be able to say, we probably can't play this much man coverage
1: regardless. Which they didn't, and I, and I like that they mixed it in. I was totally fine with that.
0: Okay, so you're totally fine with it.
1: No, no, no. I'm saying I'm fine with them mixing in man. Right. Like, I, I I don't have a I don't have an issue with that whatsoever. Yeah, me What I'm saying is, every now and then, give a cover zero look and drop into coverage or do something different oh, or bring someone from okay, a different okay, angle okay. all
0: right I, I i am down for give a cover zero look and then drop into coverage that is something i will say i have never seen i will agree there with you on that point
1: <laughs> i'm glad we i don't, each I don't like to i'm
0: not about. i'm not looking for these like i don't want them to be like lining up like looking cover three and then all of a sudden be sending people from all willy-nilly that's not this defense and never will be
1: no no absolutely not i'm just saying i can tell every time they're bringing people that where they're bringing him from and i've got an obvious matchup choice as a quarterback that's got an eight yard cushion that i can pick apart at will that's why those blitzes aren't getting there because they get the ball out so damn quick and we don't have the guys to man cover it anyway so every now and then you got to throw it a little a a little bluff even if you just drop one guy as a robber just just do something different that disguises what you're doing it's so vanilla pre-snap that's what i'm frustrated with
0: write something about this and convince me on it
1: OK, and I'll give you percentages and I'll give you fancy charts and I'll do all that stuff or I'll just wait until you forget about it. Ben, one way that we can improve this defense. Look, Patrick Peterson's out there on the, on the trade market. His cousin, Brian McFadden, is saying or has said that he's Saints- the
0: funniest sourcing of a trade I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. Brian McFadden keeps tweeting out like teams interested in Patrick Peterson, Saints, Eagles, Patriots. Source? Patrick Peterson. (laughs) And it kills me every time.
1: So those were the teams interested in Peterson. The Saints made a trade on Tuesday to acquire in battle Giants cornerback, Eli Apple, for a fourth round and a seventh round pick. I don't know why they would do that. Uh, that may take them out of the running for Peterson because they were already lacking draft capital. Anyway, Ben, you raising your hand. Uh, you may go. If
0: I told you you were trading a fourth round pick and a seventh round pick, would you prefer to be receiving Jarvis Landry or Eli Apple?
1: Jarvis Landry.
0: Yeah, well, that's literally like pretty much what exactly the trade conversation was for Landry. Really? Yeah. So What? what?
1: And so Michael Bennett went Eli for, Apple for a fifth? Equals,
0: yeah, Michael Bennett was a fifth. <laughs> what?
1: I can't, I can't believe any team would be willing to say, we'll send a fourth-round pick for Eli Apple. And then another yes. team would
0: have the gall to say, and give us a seventh.
1: That's, in, that's insane. It's wild. Okay, I, I see you, Dave Gettleman. I see you a little bit, a little teeny tiny bit from making well, it's like work. It's
0: like Gruden with the Amari Cooper for a first-round pick. Just because a GM made an objectively good move doesn't mean they're all of a sudden actually good at their jobs.
1: And also because a GM made a bad move and selected Eli Apple number one in the first round— but what in the top ten?
0: Tenth overall.
1: The league is enamored with busts,
0: <laughs> like with with uh, the league is and is enamored with Ohio State corners. Is what the league's yeah. enamored with.
1: The Saints have a bunch of them now, don't they? I mean, it's they even got the Von Saints Bell in the defense. The is
0: Marshawn Lattimore, Eli Apple, Von Bell, and Kirk Coleman. All yeah. four of them are Ohio State <laughs> products. Now I'm pretty sure they have the Kirk Coleman's not starting for them or something, or maybe Von Bell isn't actually. Probably Von Bell's not. But either way, they have a lot. they got a lot. And then Marcus Williams out of Utah. Shout out Marcus Williams.
1: So, okay, Ben, as much as I've talked about feeling the pressure of the season like, build up and me getting closer to the edge, here, here's the thing, and I want to hit this off at the pass. It's okay for me and you and fans and other writers to feel like it's not time to make a trade now because the season is starting to look like it's somewhat over and you want to keep you want you want to keep those future investments in house, rather than trying to fix something right now. But general managers never get to think that way. And I don't think that Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson, and I, I was telling you this on Twitter, I don't think they're the type to say, "Yeah, it's week eight, we're pretty screwed. Uh, let's not make a move to improve this team this year, because I don't believe in them. Like that's, that's, the that's the vibe that I get when people say, well, don't trade for anyone right now look towards the future. Howie Roseman is not operating under that umbrella exclusively. That's not the DNA of this team, nor would I ever want it to be, because if that's the way they're thinking, you never win a Super Bowl that way. At
0: no point in any NFL team's development at all should they see a player of Patrick Peterson's caliber and age become available and say, you know what, this is not a good time for us to be trading for him. (laughs) 32 out of 32 teams should want Patrick Peterson at yeah. his current price point, at his current age, on their team.
1: That's what that's what I said when, when the news came out. I said 31 teams should be should be on the right. phone. The
0: only right now. reason Carolina might trade him is not because or excuse me, the Cardinals might trade him, is not because Arizona thinks they don't need him. It's because Patrick Peterson wants to get the heck out of Arizona.
1: Right. So it hurts their leverage. So Daniel Jeremiah brought up this hypothetical trade. And I put this up on the BGN Radio account on Twitter at BGN underscore radio. Here it goes. This is the hypothetical trade for the Eagles. Don't yell at me. The Eagles would give up their 2019-2020 first round picks. Along with their 2019 fourth round selection, the Cardinals would give up Patrick Peterson and a 2019 second round selection. Ben, I don't think this is as crazy as it looks on the surface or the way that other people are making making it out to be considering that the Cardinals are a bottom feeder team that only are made immediately worse by dealing Patrick Peterson in this trade. And it also depends on how much you believe the Eagles can right the ship obviously. So I'll put it this way. Let's say the Cardinals are bottom five at the end of the season, which I think is a really safe assumption. And for purely hypothetical purposes, and even though the Eagles playoff odds are at 22% right now, according to Football Outsiders, let's say that the Eagles scratch and claw their way into the playoffs and let's put them at pick 21. So you're switching pick 21 for another pick at the very top of the second round, right? So you're moving back a little bit there. You're also mm-hmm. giving up a fourth, which the Eagles have an extra fourth this year at their disposal. And you're also giving up a first in 2020. So that's the main thing for me. Gun to your head, Ben. And remembering the fury in which I called for the benching of Jalen Mills two weeks ago, and I'm still not sold on him as a starter, regardless of what the staffs believes in him or the talent around him, apparently. Gun to your head, Ben. If you are Howie, do you pull the trigger on this deal? So two
0: ones and a four for PP and a two. No. Nah. I would not be like to be trading multiple first round picks for How much would how,
1: how how much would that have to move for you before you get into the reasons why?
0: I would be willing to send a three pick package, mm-hmm. but I would not want two of them to be ones.
1: What if it was a first round, a second round next year, and a third round next year?
0: Uh to me that's still quite rich. You know what I okay. mean? Like I I okay. heard, like off oh, I'll send I'll... you right, like I'll send you two healthy picks. You send me Patrick Peterson and then, like, a decent, like, a two or a three, and then I'll pepper in, like, you know, the fifth or the sixth or whatever. That doesn't really matter.
1: Keep in mind, this is a 28-year-old cornerback that is Pro Bowl bound pretty much every year.
0: No, no. I don't dispute that at all. But you can't be at a position where you are eggs in a basket on a guy ever who he tears his ACL and it's
1: over. That much capital, yeah.
0: Right, which... You know, the Eagles went all eggs in a basket on a guy named Carson Wentz. They traded two ones, a two, a three, and a four for Carson, a one, and then a four, right?
1: That's a quarterback, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> right. as a quarterback. But also, you know, he tears his ACL, obviously, and now, you know, he's rehabbing. But if Carson had tore his ACL and then, you know, never recovered, you know, obviously the risk is still worth it because it's a quarterback. But you're at a point where you mortgaged a lot, a lot of young players you could have selected. Uh, for a guy who ends up being off your roster so you never want to put too much behind one guy put too many chips behind one hand because you never know kind of you know what could be waiting down the mountain for for any human being any football player
1: here's my thing ben real quick yeah if we give that up where do we find our next offensive tackle
0: no for sure right absolutely you're (laughs) at a point where you're not you're not drafting in the first round for the next two years right right When you have have, like one immediate glaring need on your roster and then it's going to be a great roster in 2020 and you can't really sign a key free agent because Carson Wentz making a ton of money, you're a little screwed, right? You need those first round picks to go get yourself some impact players. I mean, Philadelphia, uh, yeah, I mean, so 2017 uh, in the first round, Philadelphia takes Derek Barnett, 14th overall. 2018, they trade out of the first round, 32nd overall pick, right? So this is a team who... Yeah, they drafted 2017. Yeah, Barnett, 2017 first round. Carson was 2018 Mm -hmm. first round. And then, yeah, yeah, okay. And in 2018, you don't have a first round pick. 32nd overall pick, you trade it back. Uh, So, you know, Philadelphia's kind of eschewed uh, that first rounder in 2018. It'd be tough to then not pick in the first round again in 2019 and again in 2020, barring other trades, obviously. With the way your corner room looks, with Ronald Darby's contract expiring at the end of this year and Jalen Mills is expiring at the end of next year, you very much want to be moving one of those two players in the Patrick Peterson trade that is your priority right mm. because you 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 have a mess like you have a you have too much to handle if you have Peterson, Darby, Mills, Douglas, Cindy Jones, Maddox all in the building that's so much that's like obviously you know too much of a good thing like it doesn't sound realistic but when one guy starts playing bad, well, there's going to be a lot of pressure to put in one of the other guys, and then you've got a lot of tumult and upheaval. You have like, too many options. You know what I mean? Like right now, Philadelphia's already got a lot of options at corner, and that's why so many people want so many different things, and sticking with Jalen Mills, da 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 this is all a problem. Especially because, uh, you know, if you bring in Patrick Peterson, you're almost definitely letting Darby walk, and then you're probably letting Jalen Mills walk. And you're not going to be getting much for those guys. It's just going to be compensatory selections. So right. to me, I'm going to uh Arizona, I'm saying, all right, so you have a top flight corner who doesn't want to be with you. He's twenty eight. I've got a corner who's not top flight, but he's a strong corner in the league. He's twenty four. Right. And you can sign him for less money than you would have kept Peterson on mm-hmm. for the next few years. Mm-hmm. I'll give you him in a second. Let's start yeah. there. I'll give you yeah. him and then a very healthy pick with which you can go and get yourself a young corner and have two great looking corners the next five years. You can go have that. That's that's yours. You know, uh, you can go and you can get yourself two offensive tackles in round two, and then Josh Rosen's not going to die.
1: And then go get yourself a running back with that nice, you know, that nice second round pick. So and we'll call you about David Johnson next year.
0: All right, Mike, Mike's got to get over the David Johnson dream. You're very heavily starting with, I think, Darby and Mills. That being said, yeah, I do expect the Eagles to probably offer multi-pick packages for Peterson. They need him. If he's legitimately available, there's no team in the league who would be as improved as the Eagles would be with Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson is a top three corner in the league right now. The Eagles' mm-hmm. number one weakness on their entire team is cornerback. Yeah. Like you said, like, seasons kind of feels like it's over. It would be massive. Like, you yeah. know, I've, I've seen people say, like, Patrick Peterson's not going to save this team. <gasps> Patrick Peterson's getting very close to saving this team. I firmly believe that. He's a very good player, guys. He's very, very
1: good. I would, I would walk back from the ledge in that case. And I, I agree with you, Ben. The the I would start with a player trade before I would with that future capital because, number one, you have to think about drafting and replacing guys and do it doing it. And I know I say cap is a myth, and it, and it largely is. But at the same time, there's still got to be some fiscal responsibility there. Otherwise, you end up like the Dallas Cowboys. Right. But you have to be able to replace those guys with cheap guys. That comes with draft picks. And I like having that mobility in the draft by having those draft picks available.
0: No, absolutely. And and kind of the final point that I'll say here is, listen, Darby, free agent this year. And you've right. got to figure out what to do with him. And you got Brandon Graham, who's also going to have free agency in Nelson Aguilar, who's going to be a fifth-year guy. You know, with his option, you got to figure out what to do with those. There's going to be some money spent because you're going to retain some of these guys. So let's say Darby leaves. 2019, Jalen Mills in a contract year. And so unless Mills starts playing much better to the point where you want to retain him as your starter, Philadelphia is going to need to acquire a starting corner, either to be outside Darby or... Or to just be a starter because both Darby and Mills are gone. Right. And they're, you know, it's probably like, okay, maybe it's Douglas on the outside. Maybe it's Cindy Jones on the outside. Who really knows? Right. But they're going to need to acquire a starter within the next two years. Unless you want them to, one, re-sign Darby, which probably means Brandon Graham walks. Or, two, re-sign Jalen Mills. Like, you have three options as a fan. Either one... Darby stays, Brandon Graham goes. Two, they re-sign Jalen Mills. He continues to start. Three, they go get a corner by 2020. So if you're worried like, oh, this is reactionary, you know, this isn't a long-term look, well, they're going to need to go find themselves a corner at some point. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, ideally, your starters are Cindy Jones, Russell Douglas, and Avante Maddox, and all three of them are awesome, and everything is hunky-dory, but Douglas can't get on the field. Jones is injured. Maddox is played safety. They yeah. need to go get a corner at some point within the next year or two. If Peterson's available... It's go time.
1: Do you remember when I said, what is the worst case scenario or one of the one things that I'm worried about from this defense coming into the season? And I said, if it's any of the corners, do not prove themselves outside. And we don't know what the plan is moving forward. The only one that has shown anything like long-term viability that I know is going to be there for a while is Sidney Jones. And he's in his second year. We have him locked up. The outside corners have not proven. And I like Darby and I thought he played yeah. well. I understand he got beat. I think he's played better than, than Jalen Mills, but he's not playing to the level that I thought he would play. And so, do you pay a guy like that? I don't know. Depends on the second half of the season goes, but it's going to be costly if you do. These outside cornerbacks have not proven that they are the long-term pieces yet. And that's what I was worried about coming into the season. And that's what the Eagles might try to alleviate by making an offer for Patrick Peterson. We'll see how it goes. I don't like the, the cost of the Daniel Jeremiah trade, but I agree with Ben that players should be packaged to alleviate some of that. We'll see how it goes. I'm sure as soon as I drop this podcast, some sort of trade will be announced and we'll have to do this all over again. Ben, we are already running late. Would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners?
0: Thank you, as always, gentle listeners, for listening to the soul Solak Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. This was the Carolina Panthers All-22 Review uh, with a lot of trade and personnel and injury talk sprinkled in. But hey, you liked it. And because you liked it, Go to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe, please, and thank you. We do appreciate it. I sent out a tweet blast uh, the other day because we were close to 500 ratings and close to 200 reviews. Uh, and I don't – I haven't checked to see if it's updated since then. Have we hit those numbers?
1: I think it's real, real close on the reviews, and I think we need about four or, – or for the five stars, and I think we need about four okay. written reviews, something like that. We're real close. Guys, Listen. if you could pitch in, it's not about our our egos. It's about this stupid iTunes algorithm. It helps us. It helps the show gets more exposure and uh, gets more Eagles fans in on the conversation. We are at
0: 499 ratings. Whoever rates it, I will give you a high five. Wherever you are in the world, I will find we need proof. you. 499 ratings. This is so upsetting. I hate. It's frustrating. Okay, rate it. Uh, but please do that. Go to iTunes and, like Mike said, it's definitely about our egos. So do that. <laughs> Coming at you tomorrow, Jacksonville Jaguars offense against the Philadelphia Eagles defense, little Nate Hackett offense, Blake Bortles, Bork Battles, <laughs> Borkity Badaddles. What a quarterback. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Um I think he's very bad. It's gonna be good. Uh we're gonna we're gonna watch them, we're gonna talk about them, and then of course on Friday, then you can expect the opposite Jaguars defense. Eagles offense, that is the week of the Kisten Solak Show. That's what's to expect. Uh make sure you keep it locked on here.
1: We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles fly.